Welcome to the Prairie Heights Podcast. Thanks for listening today. I hope it motivates you. I hope it builds your faith and helps you connect with Christ and a church family here at Prairie Heights. Enjoy the message. How are we doing, Prairie Heights? So good to be with you today. I get... the opportunity to wrap this series up and talk about marriage. Now, here's the pressure of all of it. My wife isn't here today. She's back in Bismarck. But later today, my wife will sit down in our living room and pull out the computer, and she will watch this message from her husband on marriage. And through most of it, I'm sure she'll be like, hmm, interesting, huh, hmm. So there's an unbelievable amount of pressure on me today um, because let's be honest, marriage is hard, right? Marriage is a ton of work, and I get this. Like, in this audience, I know we all come from different walks of life and we're at different places in life. Um, those of you watching at home, I know the same thing. Some of us have come into this place, and, and marriage isn't even on your radar yet. Uh, for some of you, you're like in that dating process, and, and you're hoping to find that one that you can spend the rest of your life with. And, and some of you in this place, you've tried marriage, and it, whatever reason, it just, you know, things fell apart and unraveled. And, and even as we talk about some of this stuff, you're just going to get a little bit of a pit in your stomach over some of it, but... But I want you all to lean in a little bit today, because I believe this, regardless of where you're at in all of this, I think God has something for every one of us when it comes to marriage. And there's some of you in this place today, and some of you who are watching at home who are married, and you'd acknowledge that marriage is tough, marriage is difficult. Now, I didn't think that was the case 21 years ago when I was an expert on marriage. I was a senior in college. Um, I was living up in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, And my senior year of college, uh, the summer that I was going into on my senior year, I was in six weddings as a groomsman. Mr. Popular, right? I was single, okay? My senior year, I was single. I was um, living in an apartment. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I was quite content with that, though. You know who wasn't content with that? My mother. (laughs) My mother began to worry about me. And my mom, when I was at college, my mom would call every week. Uh, This is before the cell phone days. Uh, My mom would call every week. And my mom would call at the most like horrible times for a college student. She'd call like at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And so every Saturday, my phone would ring early in the morning. It was like, oh boy, it's mom, you know, but you got to answer the phone. And, and I can remember one time in particular, my senior year, and I was single and my mom was worried. My mom called. And, Mike, I'm worried about you. <laughs> Why are you worried about me, mom? Well, you know, you're about to graduate school and... All your friends are getting married, but you're not. I know, Mom, I'm going to be okay. Well, Michael, I met a couple named Connie and Russ Henney, 
and they live in Gackle, North Dakota. Now, anybody here ever been to Gackle, North Dakota? Okay, there's like three of us, and if three of you decided to go into Gackle at the same time, you would like double the population of Gackle, North Dakota. And my mom said, hey, we, I met this nice family, Russ and Connie Henney, and then it came. And they have a daughter. I'm like, Mom, it's a Saturday morning. I don't want to hear this right now. Well, my mom said, wait, wait, wait. Just hear me out. Their daughter went to visit her biological dad who lives in Philadelphia. And she's flying back to North Dakota, but she's got a four-hour layover in Chicago. Michael, I think it would be so nice of you to go help this poor country girl out (laughs) who's alone in the city. And I thought about it. And I said, Mom, not a chance. (laughs) Not going to do it. But you know how moms are, right? Moms have the amazing ability to guilt you into doing anything. And so my mom twisted my arm a little bit, and I was like, okay, mom, this one time I'll do it. But listen, don't you ever, 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 ever do this to me again. Oh, Michael, I wouldn't do this to you, you know, just this one time, you know, so. So I didn't want to go see her. I thought it was going to be awkward. She probably didn't want to see me. And so I did what any good senior and college friend would do. I went to the apartment next door and I knocked on the door of my buddy, Ben. And I said, hey, listen, Ben. And Ben was a good guy. He was the goalie on our soccer team at our university. He's just a fun guy to be around. He's one of those guys that I could ask him to do anything and he would do it. And so I knocked on his door and I said, hey, listen, Ben. <laughs> you know moms, you know what they do. And there's this girl from Gackle, North Dakota. Ben, you ever been to Gackle, North Dakota? He's like, I don't even know where North Dakota's at. You know, I'm like, I know, nobody does. And we're okay with that, you know. But, but I said, this girl's flying from Philadelphia into O'Hare and my mom wants me to go hang out with her. Ben, would you just go with me, man, please, this one time? And Ben, being the good friend that he was, he said, not a chance, Kramer. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But I used some of the skills that my mom used on me, and I twisted his arm a little bit, and my buddy Ben said, okay, I'll go with you. And we hopped in my 1983 Ford F-150 pickup, That was just a bomb, and we drove through Chicago when we made it to O'Hare Airport to go visit this girl from Gackle, North Dakota. And I'll never forget walking in to the gate where she was at. Now, this sounds like I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm not. When I walked close to the gate, it was as if the heavens opened And I could literally hear angels singing and light shone upon this girl. And my first thought was, why'd I bring Ben? It's one of the dumbest things I've ever done. And I was like, Ben, why don't you wait out in the truck? You know, no, I didn't do that. 
But for the next four hours, I sat down with this gal. And we just began to talk and hang out. And I really liked her. Well, we just stayed in contact. And mom reminded me over and over again that she was right. And about a year plus after this, I decided that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this gal. And here's why. Two things. I had two non-negotiables. One, she was crazy good looking. Okay, that was a non-negotiable for me. I was pretty shallow. I was a senior college kid, you know. She had to be good looking. But the second is this. She had to love Jesus. It was a non-negotiable. And because she was crazy good looking and she loved Jesus, I decided that I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. And it wasn't long after that moment in the airport where I was standing in front of a congregation, a group of people, and a pastor. And I was telling this gal that regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of what happens in this life, I'm going to love and serve you for the rest of my life. Today I want to talk to you about the covenant relationship we call marriage. Now I get it. It's been cheapened today. But God set it up where two people make a covenant with each other. And regardless of what happens in life, regardless of the struggles, regardless of the bumps in the roads, you make the conscious decision that you're going to love that person for the rest of your life in a committed relationship with them. This is the way the Apostle Paul describes it. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now this morning, we're going to walk through what that looks like, what a marriage looks like, not according to Mike Kramer, but according to God, and, and we're going to use what I call the marriage triangle. And to start that off, we have a picture for what Paul says any relationship, a committed relationship, is nurtured and grown through love. Now, I want to explain that for a little bit. Because I think even our view of love has gotten skewed a little bit. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. What I find so interesting in the Greek language we find out that there was at least seven different words for love and all of them have a little bit different meaning. What we find out in the New Testament is that there are three different Greek words that they use for love uh, that I want to point out today. The first word that we see in scripture for love is phileo. Say it with me. Phileo. Now, this type of love, it's an emotional love, but it's more like a brotherly love. It's like you have those circle of friends, right? 
and you just love them. Uh, you hang out with people, and they're like, hey, I love you, man, you know, or you got your group of sister friends, and you're like, hey, I love you, sister. You, does that make sense? It's like a brotherly love. It's a, it's a bond between a couple people. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the people around you and say, hey, I phileo you, man. Say all around you. Can you feel the phileo in the place, right? That's not the word Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. He wasn't talking about that. There's another word in Scripture, a Greek word for love, and, and that word is eros. Eros. Now, it's, it's a romantic love. It's an intimate love. In fact, when the Greeks would use this word, they would, they would use it with like this fear and trembling because this kind of love would get people into trouble. It's the kind of love that's a burning ring of fire kind of love. It's where we get the English word erotic from. It's that kind of love. It's a feeling. And what's interesting, it's not the word that Paul uses in this passage. But what I find out so amazing is so many relationships are built on this kind of love. The word that Paul uses here for love is agape love. Agape love. It's much different than phileo and eros. In fact, agape love is this. It means to love, to place first in one's affection, especially love based on evaluation and choice. It's a matter of will and action. In other words, what Paul was saying is, in a marriage relationship, the love that you have for each other is a choice, not a feeling. You see, you need to understand this today. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Feelings will come and go, right? But I have to choose every single day to love my wife. And get this, my wife has to choose every single day to love me. And this is going to come to a shock to some of you. There's some days where I'm just not very lovable. But my wife has chosen to love me. It's interesting, I meet with couples all the time who are having trouble in their marriage. And we all do, right? And I hear them say things to me all the time like, hey, listen, you know, I, I once fell in love with this person, but, but those feelings are gone. I once fell in love with this person, but, but I just don't love them anymore. And that feeling is gone. And listen, I, I believe them. I believe them. Because their love is based on phileo or eros. But there's a day where I stood with my wife Latifah and I stood before some preacher and a group of people in Jamestown, North Dakota. Most of them, I didn't even know who they were. Most of them, I didn't want to know who they were. But I stood in front of this group of friends and family and people 
And I said to my wife, listen, I'm going to agape love you. I'm going to choose to love you for the rest of my life. Even when it's not easy. Even when things get difficult. Even when life gets challenging, I'm going to agape love you. I'm going to choose every single day to love you. You see, in my home, there's no plan B for that. There's no plan B for it. Regardless of what happens in our household, I'm going to choose to love my wife. You see, here's what I love about marriage. God designed marriage to provide partnership, spiritual intimacy, and the ability to pursue God together. And when we do this together, we experience something in our marriage that Paul describes as being one. <laughs> Two different people with different personalities, with different upbringings, who look, look different, who have different groups of friends. The two become one. Now, in today's world, oneness has gotten a little off track. Some people look at oneness and they, they view it as they're looking for their soulmate, <laughs> somebody to complete them. I hear it all the time when I sit down with these new couples who, who are wanting to get married, and, and I'm not picking on anybody because I was the same way, but when I sit down with these couples and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, I look at the gal and I say, hey, why do you want to marry this joker, you know? What is it about him that you want to marry him? And, and so often in these new young couples, I hear things like, well, he's my soulmate. My gag reflexes start to kick in a little bit at that moment. <laughs> he's my soulmate, and, and he makes me laugh. And we never argue about anything. I'm like, anything? Like, anything. And he just completes me. And immediately in my mind, I begin to think like, well, what happens when he's not funny anymore? What happens when you really begin to fight? What happens when the pressure of finances and kids and stress and health just compile on you? What happens in those moments then? All of a sudden, that person doesn't complete you anymore. And oneness in today's culture has gotten so twisted and skewed. See, the problem with finding a soulmate, the problem with finding somebody who will complete you, is that we're looking to another human being to complete us. And the only one who's capable of doing that is Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one who can complete us. He's the only one who can fill that void in our life. And if we expect our spouse to fill that, he or she will fail every single day. No one can live up to those expectations. And so we often try to fix our marriages by working at those areas in our marriage. We try to go out and do things that will make us laugh together, that will cause us to have fun together. We try strategies on how we can fight less, and when we do fight, what are those fair rules of engagement? We try to find ways to bring a spark back into our relationships. 
We do counseling, and maybe it helps, and I'm all for counseling. All this might help for a little bit and could be very good at times, but it's never going to solve the ultimate issue and make you and your spouse one. It'll never solve the issue of you and your spouse not being one. So what makes us one? Let's go back to our marriage triangle. You see, what makes a couple one is when you and your spouse just make the decision that you both, not one or the other, but you both are going to begin to pursue Jesus Christ. When two people just make that decision that they got to aim in life, that they're going to pursue someone, and they're both going to do it together, and the aim of their pursuit is Jesus. And as they pursue Jesus, it's going to bring them together. You see, we're all pursuing something, aren't we? Some of us are pursuing our career, right? It consumes us. It's all we think about. It's what gets us up on a Monday morning. We're in the pursuit of having a successful career. And listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a successful career, but for some of us, that's our whole aim at life. It's what we're pursuing every single day. For some of us, if you're like me, you have kids, right? And I got three kids, and all three of my kids are in sports, and, and they're all going to be professional athletes someday. Um, they're my retirement plan, and I have no plan B. So often in my family, we're pursuing sports, and we're running all over the country for basketball and volleyball and baseball, and, and it sometimes consumes us, and we're oftentimes pursuing that. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's image. But we're all pursuing something, and I believe this. If you and your spouse want to really become one, you both have to pursue Jesus. Husbands, listen to me. If you would really begin to pursue Jesus, I can tell you this. You will be a much better husband. I promise you. You won't be thinking of yourself all the time and you won't be looking for all these different things to fill that void in your life and trying to find all different kinds of love. If you would just begin to pursue Jesus, you'd become a better husband. Wives, listen to me. If you would just begin to pursue Jesus with a tenacity... You're going to be a much better wife. You're going to be able to learn every day how you can choose to love your husband if you would just begin to pursue Jesus. And if two people make the decision that they're both going to pursue Jesus, it's ultimately going to bring you together. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says this. He says, don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. <laughs> but your heavenly Father already knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God above all else, 
and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I'm telling you guys, if you want to experience oneness in your marriage, both of you need to be pursuing Jesus. Both of you. But I get it, there's a reality, right? The reality is it takes both of you to pursue Jesus in order for oneness to take place in your marriage. And I know that many of you in this place and many of you watching at home, you're experiencing an incomplete triangle. One of you in the relationship It's not pursuing Jesus. And because of that, you're not experiencing oneness in your marriage. Well, one of you is pursuing a career, another one of you is pursuing Jesus. Well, one of you is pursuing money, the other one is pursuing Jesus. And because of that, there's not oneness in your marriage. And here's why it's important. A couple years ago, my son, who was at the time around 13 years old, uh, my wife and I were in Alexandria, Minnesota. We were at some meetings. And uh, my kids were old enough to stay at friends' house at that time, so they were all staying at different people's house. And, and when we were in these meetings in Alexandria, I got a phone call from the hospital that said, we just need you to know, Mr. Kramer, that you and your wife need to come to Fargo. Your son is being lifelighted from Bismarck to Fargo. They couldn't give me any details over the phone. They just said, you need to hurry to Fargo. But you can imagine as a father what goes on inside of you when you get news like that. And, and so I immediately get on the phone and I called the parents of where my son Carson was staying. And, and Carson had come home from a ball practice and, and he was just going from the, the, the driveway to the house and there's a skateboard in the driveway. And he said he just stepped on it and was gonna skate up the driveway. And, and as he stepped on it, the skateboard slipped under him and he fell backwards and he hit the back of his head on the curb. And the mom said, we don't know what's happening, but he just started going into convulsions. And we immediately called 911. You can imagine what goes on in a parent's life when they get that kind of news. And I can't imagine what my life would have been like at that moment if we had an incomplete triangle. Because all the way from Alexandria to Fargo, which isn't that long of a drive, but when you're driving for those reasons, it seems like an eternity. I was able to grab my wife's hand and all the way there, we just prayed. We both prayed. God, we need your help on this. Watch over our baby boy. And all the way there, we just prayed together for the whole drive. And I can't imagine what it would have been like if I didn't have that. And I get it, so many of you experience that daily and I don't wanna make light of that. Just to let you know, Carson ended up being okay. He was at the Sanford, the new Sanford here in Fargo. He's there for about a week and a half and he had bleeding in the brain and he had to see a neurosurgeon and all that stuff. And, and he's okay now. But you know that new Sanford and Fargo here? We paid for it. So you're welcome. <laughs> welcome. 
And I get it. Some of you are living in a situation where you have an incomplete triangle. And it's hard. I can't imagine the struggles that you go through. And so here's what I want to encourage you with this today when it comes to your marriage. And if you're one of those that has an incomplete triangle where you're pursuing Jesus with everything, but your spouse isn't, there's two things that I want you just to start doing. One is this. Keep loving your spouse. Keep loving your spouse right where they're at. Even in the times where it's hard, keep choosing every day to love them. And the second thing is this, just begin to pray for your spouse every day. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that God would begin to change them. Pray that God would use you to be an incredible example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and just begin to pray for them every day. Some of you today are in a broken triangle. Broken triangle. Something has taken place or is currently taking place in your marriage that just seems to be breaking up the triangle. For some of you, it's maybe an affair that you had. And you have hurt the person that you said you're going to choose to love. You've hurt them deeply. And it's just broken up that relationship. For some of you men, can I call you out? I think I can call you out because I am one and I understand, but for some of you men, you struggle with pornography and it just consumes you. And, and for many of you, you've just kind of gotten comfortable with it. And you have no idea how much it's just breaking up your relationship. And you're not one in your marriage because of the struggles that you have. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Every time. It not only kills you spiritually because sin separates us from God, it kills your relationships, it kills your marriage, it creates a divide between you and the person you made a commitment with. Your sin is killing your marriage. You have a broken triangle. But Paul gives us hope. He says this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there's restoration that can take place. There's healing that can take place. God can begin to piece this all back together. I want you to watch a video. There's a family here at Prairie Heights that has experienced all of this. They've experienced an incomplete triangle. They've experienced a broken triangle. And I just want you to sit back and watch on what God did to restore all of it. So we kind of went into marriage. I, we even did uh, premarital counseling with my home church pastor. So we went home and did premarital counseling. And there was, I'll never forget, there was even a moment like week two, week three, that we're into this. And he asked us to consider waiting. He said, you know, you might want to even consider postponing the wedding. And I thought all along, like, I could change him into who I wanted him to be. Once we were married, it would be so different. Like, they, everything would magically change when we got married. And so we went in with rose-colored glasses and without either of us really having an understanding of what it was going to take to have a successful marriage. That following year, I think we really hit one of the very first hurdles in our marriage where we literally looked each other in the eye 
and uh, the thought of divorce was, was, I think, now on the table. There was this growing gap between Troy and I spiritually because he was not where I wanted him to be. And I, I was praying for God to, to change his heart and to move him in that direction of leading our family. And yeah, he was out maybe having a good time with his buddies and I was home with a baby. And so there was just resentment growing. And so uh, all of uh, just completely Randomly and out of the blue, um, I was reintroduced to um, someone from my past who came in and just was like, oh my gosh, hi, you're amazing, you look great. And so it began a conversation with him and I was secretly having some phone calls. Um, I was secretly also sort of planning to see him I'm completely oblivious to her secret conversations with her, her uh, previous boyfriend, and um, I actually, quite honestly, God was stirring in my heart, and in His own unique way, and uh, I actually said yes to uh, attend this Bible study. So, so I'm opening up the Bible for the very first time and I'm looking and, and understanding God's Word and I'm just like, this is a loving God who's like forgiveness is like, there's nothing you can do, Troy. There's none of these destructive behaviors that you're participating in can separate you from God's love. And, and I actually come back from that event, what I would say is completely ready to change my life, completely ready to step into this relationship that she's been seeking and, and desiring. Um, but then again, I at the time where I'm on my upward trajectory, I have no clue that she's actually on her downward trajectory. So the affair lasted about six months and where I really just came like to the end of myself and I just was like sickened by the condition of my heart. I was sickened by my own sin. And I had, I had always been looking at his sin and looking at him and was sort of pointing fingers at like the things he had done wrong and how he disappointed me and how I wished he could just do better. And instead, it's sort of like the tables got turned and, and like God showed me, this is the condition of your heart. And I never told anybody, I didn't tell anybody about this. No one knew. And I really believed like it would be my secret. My plan was just to, to sort of bury it, forget it, and move on. There was just a, there was a moment um, that I felt the Lord say, you know, I want you to come completely clean with your husband and the people around you because I can redeem this and I can use it for my glory, but you first have to tell your husband. And so, and I'm like, okay, I guess I gotta go for it. And I told him and we spent probably the next at least day and a half him wrestling over it. And so it was very painful. It was horrible to look into his eyes and tell him I had been unfaithful and that I was sorry and to ask his forgiveness and to really come clean. And it was one of the hardest things that I have ever done in my whole life. Um, that, was, that was a hard pill to swallow. Knowing what God was doing in my heart um, and knowing how he had forgiven me, you know, she needed to hear from me uh, um, to, 
to affirm that I was going to be right there with her. And, uh, you know, I looked her in the eye and I said, I completely forgive you. The two biggest problems with every marriage is her and I. And the most difficult thing in that relationship is, is being able to forgive, to be able to love unconditionally, to know that you're going to let each other down at times. But as in the case in every relationship, the, the most important thing is forgiveness. God, God has this plan for everybody, and He has uh, this ability to use every single situation um, for His glory. Without God, uh, we wouldn't be sitting here. I can guarantee you that much right now. Yeah. There's just no question that if it weren't for, yeah, the grace of God, we would not be here. It's a great story, isn't it? an example of a complete triangle makes you one. Complete triangle makes you one when, when two people just choose to love each other through thick and thin. When two people make that decision that they're going to agape love each other and, and when two people just make that decision that they're going to pursue Jesus with the tenacity. A complete triangle can make you one. And I think what our world needs is marriages between people who are one. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes, and I just ask that you do that. Those of you watching at home, just everybody bow their heads, close their eyes, and nobody looking around. And I just want to acknowledge several things. One is I know that some of you in here have gone through like difficult divorces, and you wrestle with it every day, and you feel like you failed. Uh, all of this wasn't to like make you feel that way, but I understand that you got a pit in your stomach because of what we talked about. Uh, here's what I love about God is he's a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances. He says, in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He makes everything new. And so I hope this can give you some sense of hope today that God's got a game plan for you on marriage. I wanna speak to those who are single and, and you're dating somebody who isn't pursuing Jesus. Uh, this is gonna be hard for you to take in, but but I mean this out of love and out of compassion for you. I don't think you should marry that person. I don't think you should marry that person. You'll never be one. And God set up marriage for husband and wife to be one. And so here's what I want us to do as we close. If you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to grab his or her hand right now. If you're desiring regardless, if you have an incomplete triangle or a broken triangle, and if you today want a complete triangle where you and your spouse are pursuing Jesus, and you're going to choose to love each other every day, I just want you to squeeze your spouse's hand right now. Squeeze her hand. For some of you, you're going to need to have some tough conversations with your spouse Maybe ask for forgiveness on some things. Some of you today are gonna to need to begin to pursue Jesus Christ. Well, today I wanna to help you pray through that. So with everybody's eyes 
closed and heads bowed. Let's just pray together. Jesus, we love you. What a challenge marriage is. But I thank you that you've given us a game plan. God, I thank you that you've given us the ability to choose every day that we can love our spouse. And God, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we're very unlovable people. But God, would you teach us every day what it means to love each other with that agape love. And God, I pray for our spouses all across this place, many of them who squeeze their spouse's hand. I pray that from this day on, we can just pursue you with a tenacity, that we can pursue Jesus. And as we pursue Jesus, you'll just continue to bring us closer and closer together. God, I pray for those who have gone through maybe a divorce or a marriage that was blown up and God, they just live with that guilt every day and they come into a place like this and it's just hard for them to hear this. I, I again thank you that you give us second chances. But I also thank you that you give us a game plan for maybe if we step into that next marriage, we can be one. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this challenge on us today. I pray that a mark of our marriages will be that we are one. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to those of you who give generously to Prairie Heights. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit prairieheights.com give for more information. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Prairie Heights. Thanks for listening and God bless.